Welcome to Pictures of a Pandemic, June 30, 2020, the fourth episode of American Baptist Home Mission Society's podcast, telling stories of the toll the coronavirus is taking on American Baptists and American Baptist organizations across the United States and Puerto Rico. I'm Susan Gottschall, Director of Communications, and I'm honored to be in dialogue through this podcast with pastors, community service directors, and others who are ministering during these hard days of the coronavirus pandemic. Today, I'm talking with the Reverend Mar Imsung, Executive Director of Massachusetts Baptist Multicultural Ministries, often referred to as MBMM in Lexington. This nonprofit organization works at the grassroots level with refugee and immigrant communities, including pastors and churches, throughout the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Reverend Imsong, the mission of MBMM is to advocate for, celebrate, and empower new Americans. I love that phrase, new Americans. Thank you. Tell me why you refer to the refugee and immigrant communities in this way. Well, I think uh, we are all Americans, and the newness is actually all depends on when you come here to this country, except for the Native Americans. Uh, so instead of calling them as an immigrants or, you know, undocumented, I guess sometimes the best way to be more inclusive is we thought is new Americans because they are in the process or somebody, you know, in the process of becoming an American. I just really love that phrase. How many uh, different new American groups do you work with? Well, uh, it's a very broad category because, you know, uh, we work as you have introduced in the beginning, we work both with ethnic churches and also with refugees and immigrants. So ethnic churches here in Massachusetts are mostly Haitian, Brazilian, uh, Asian, and some African, mostly from Ghana, and also quite a few Latinos churches. But in terms of the immigrants, it's pretty much, as you know, people also are coming from different countries here in the United States including uh, people from Middle East, which includes Iraq and Syria and Iran and Afghanistan, and also from Southeast Asia, like uh, Bhutan and uh, Burma, from people from Burma, and from Africa, like Congo, Sudan, uh, Somalia. And, yeah, we also have uh, some people from, um, you know, uh, from uh, recent countries like uh, Bulgaria and some say, um, Eastern European countries, but uh, those are the majority of the people. So African, Middle Eastern, and uh, Asian descents. As I'm listening to you um, share all of those countries that um, the immigrants and refugees are coming from, I'm thinking about the tremendous um, adjustment that it would be to come from those places to this United States and then to be doing that or to be here when you're so new and, and then it's a, a pandemic. Um, 
I can't imagine what that would be like. How, how have you seen the pandemic affect these new Americans? Well, just imagine you are coming and living in a country where not even a single word makes sense. And then the whole culture is so different. But all of a sudden, you are faced with this kind of lockdown and pandemic. And so actually, with what we have found out with how it has impacted uh, in our community is, I have always said this to many people, and this is a fact. The only most effective way of controlling this pandemic is by social distancing. But social distancing is indeed a, a luxury for many of these immigrants and refugee community. There are a few reasons why it is a luxury. Number one, they are living in a very crowded apartment, sharing one bathroom, two bedrooms with 10 people living there. And they also are the most essential workers. So they also have to go to work or continue to make their earning. So they have to take the risk by taking public transportation, which is crowded, or take a work van, which arranged by the employer, which is completely crowded and there is no any social distancing. And just imagine also, you know, if you are trying to be safe, some of those people are not, do not have a driver license. And they have to drive to work with the risk of being arrested and stopped by the police. So, uh, as I said, social distancing is the most effective way to control, but it is a luxury. And that's one of the reasons why they are impacted very badly. Second, of course, the whole communication and knowledge about this virus, they are not really sometimes able to understand and comprehend. And of course, the third aspect why they are impacted so badly is access to healthcare. They lack, they are underinsured or not insured. So they don't have, um, you know, coverage for taking care of their health. And many of them already have a pre-existing condition. And perhaps the last thing which we all know is that the testing, testing which is done most of the, in most of the places, which is a tribe true. So imagine if you are having a, a testing place with a tribe true and if you don't own a car, how do you do that? So these are some of the things I think there is many other things. So, you know, uh, I've always said this, that the coronavirus really transcended all kinds of ethnicity, class, and, uh, you know, groups of people. But the access to healthcare and access to information is very much along the racial and economic line here in this country. And that's what we have realized that uh, we really need to come up with uh, some kind of an advocacy and also, of course, trying to help them. Uh, so it is, a, it is a, an, an, an eye-opening for us that, you know, we have to see a long-term way of addressing some of these issues. And um, how is MBMM helping these communities cope and survive? Well, uh, we, we have done a couple of things. And by the way, thank you very much to American Baptist Home Mission Societies for immediately responding our request for our COVID-19 emergency fund through one great hour of sharing. And that was indeed a great help. And uh, we, have been very, we have been very fortunate to get some very generous 
donors and also some other organization who have come up and given us money so that we will be able to help. So we have helped in several ways. The first one was that um, we have helped people buy grocery gift cards, but also we have find volunteers who can buy the groceries and deliver to them. And if I'm not quite sure in terms of how many families that we have, uh, we are, we have helped and have continuously helped at least for three or four weeks. Um, but I'm sure it is along 60 or 80 families of the immigrants people. The other one was also, we also try to keep them help in terms of, um, rental assistance for people, those who are not able to pay rent. Uh, and that's what we have helped. Um, and, the other aspects, what we have done is also for the immigrants and refugee children in remote learning. They were already lacking behind in their school work, even before this lockdown and before this pandemic. But now, with the lockdown and remote learning, they are way behind. And many of them do not get access to this remote learning to the school that is provided, perhaps because uh, they may not have the equipment or they don't have the internet access. Actually, there was one very interesting uh, case in this situation. One of the undocumented family, they had three children and they did not have any internet access. And they were trying to get the internet access but then the Comcast, which is the company that provides internet, requires social security number in order for them to get the connection. So we came to know about the family and then we were just so happy that uh, we took it as our own organization's extension. So we were able to provide internet to that family and now the children have access to internet and then have the remote learning capacity. So we have been also launching remote tutoring. And I think this is going to be a long haul in terms of trying to help this family. Uh, and one most important thing is that we also do advocacy. And we participate with the other organization and net uh, people to for changing the policy in order for them to get access. For instance, like here in Commonwealth of Massachusetts, we have an act which is still pending, uh, passing in the in the in the Senate is the Family and Mobility Act, which is actually to give a driver license to undocumented people, and um, we are advocating and working with uh, our senators and congressmen here in the Commonwealth so that that act is passed because we feel that that is a health care issue and that will really help us prevent perhaps the second wave of the pandemic if we are to face so we are lobbying all the time working with a lot of other organizations so that that family and mobility act can be passed so you know i think it is a long answer to your short questions about how we are dealing so it is you know really multi-layered multi-areas of how we are addressing this issue so, um, what what do you see as the greatest needs of these communities as we're struggling through these days and these months that we you know with really no end in sight? What, what what do you see as the greatest needs of these people? Well, I see two things here. I think one is you know 
whether we, they are Christian or not, um, I think they need some kind of uh, resiliencies and hope in the midst of all this hopelessness. And that is something that we could provide, you know, maybe just by being present with them, just by being, uh, f- for them to feel that they are included. Uh, for instance, like, you know, when I visited one family, Mr. Sandals, a uh, couple of weeks ago, they have been quarantined in their home for a long time because quite a few of the families were got sick. So we have been helping them with delivering food and all this stuff. And with maintaining the social distancing and wearing masks and all this kind of conversation, and Sandos was telling me, uh, Reverend Mari, and he, he, that's what he addressed to me. And he said, well, you know, we have so many arts here in this country. We have a lot of hoops to go through, and that person is undocumented. And there are so many walls that we are facing. But Santos told me, but we are so happy that God is not against us. So I thought that was the best sermon that I would hear from an undocumented person. Sometimes the best sermon that I hear is not from my colleague or from the church, but... uh, you know, that kind of a living testimony is very powerful. So I think they need some kind of hope and resiliencies in order for them to survive, both emotionally and spiritually, number one. Number two, I think we need to be do- working with them, as we all the time say, you know, recognizing and accepting them. That's what we call a celebration. And then, of course, you know, we need to really do some advocacy work for them because they are voiceless. They cannot represent themselves. Their voices are not heard. So we have to be their spokespersons. We have to be the people who will be raising their concern and raising their flags all the time. Mar, I'm curious um, about... Um, any discrimination that the Asian groups that you work with may have experienced or may be experiencing because of the um, of the aura around the virus coming from China. Have you heard any of that happening there with those groups? Oh, yes. I think that is, uh, that is all over the United States. I think even in the hospital, we have heard about our Asian healthcare workers uh, you know, asking by their patients, saying, here, we don't like you. We would like another nurse to come and help me. Uh, So that was just really heartbreaking to hear some of those things. And also, you know, some some of our Asian friends were kind of saying that, you know what, when I went to the grocery store, everyone ran away and saying that, you know, you're bringing virus. So I was kind of uh, happy that there was nobody around and I did all my shopping. He was kind of telling sarcastically. But then that's the kind of a daily experience of uh, some of this misconception and all this uh, misinformation that is going around. Uh, So, you know, the tone of this needs to be changed and we have expressed some of those concerns. But... um, I think there is much deeper problem than that. Just some some of those verbal, you know, outbreaks and accusation made. Uh, there, I have not heard about any kind of a physical assault happening here in the Commonwealth, but there has been a lot of um, verbal and gestural 
assault uh, or discrimination for the Asian. And actually, you know, interestingly, um, I was just reading uh, Lowell's Sun today, a newspaper from Lowell's, the city of Lowell. And they have, uh, they have just been telling, because in Massachusetts, uh, they just started uh, co collecting all those information about ethnicity in terms of people those who have been affected by COVID-19. And after they have started collecting, in city of Lowell, 50% are immigrants and 50% are white. So out of 50% those who are immigrants, more than 70 people affected by the coronavirus were the immigrant population. Uh, and I think in, in city of Lowell, it is mostly Asian. Lowell is one of the highest number of Cambodian living in the United States from Cambodia. So it's, you know, when you go to city of Lowell, you will almost think that you are somewhere in Southeast Asia. So, um, and even in that city, people have expressed about how they, they feel ostracized, how they feel frightened and, uh, you know, to live, even though they are almost, you know, 50-50 with uh, uh, white people living there. So it's sad to see that. Very sad to hear that. Um, these are hard days in so many ways. Um, we have to we have to come to a close, but uh, I'm interested in hearing from you. Um, perhaps what's the one most important thing you would want American Baptists to know about what you do and and um, the needs that uh, of the people that you you work with. Well, one thing that I think we all should know is that we really don't need to go that far in order for us to see an immigrant person just walk outside in your neighborhood and then find out and then be a, become a friend with them and then, you know, listen to them and then learn from one another because it's two ways, you know. There are certain things that we can teach them, but there are so many things that we can learn from them also. Uh, and one, one really, um, I mean, if I'm, the, you know, Susan, if I can share one story. Uh, one of the most difficult things that I've experienced during the pandemic was for one of our own American Baptist pastor uh, from Burma. Uh, when both he and his wife were hospitalized in the hospital, her daughter passed away. Mm. So um, to have a funeral in the absence of both dad and mom. And for us not to tell her dad that her daughter had died away because, uh, died because we don't want him to know through social media. We were trying to work with the hospital in a long process, how to give his phone away. But he was very bad, very serious for like four or five days. But then he started recovering, he was asking for his phone. And then, so it was a very difficult moment for us to tell this news about his daughter passing away over the phone by a phone conference. But those were heartbreaking moments. But one of the great things is that American Baptists just step up and then embrace and then support each other. So, you know, we are, we are a great denomination that have embraced diversity. And that's the reason why we like American Baptists. And then I think our diversity make our denomination much stronger. 
And I'm just so happy with what initiative is taken by the American Baptist Home Mission Societies and also for the denomination as a whole. I think together we can make a difference. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I'm just so touched by the work that you're doing. It must be so gratifying. You're making such a difference for the people there in Massachusetts. So God bless you. Um, we will be praying for you um, as we go through these coming days. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. And God bless you too. Thank you. Mm-hmm.